1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been a couple days, a few days longer than intended. How you doing? You ready to go? You got your power back. I did get my power back. Um, and more in the, uh, the electrical sense of that phrase than like... Like, I had superpowers I, that got zapped from me or anything like that. I
2: think I got my swag back.
1: I got it back. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. We apologize. It's been a few days since we uh, last posted here. I think it's actually been a full week. Uh, we, we recapped the ACC Championship game and had some coaching news. And then uh, we were going to record on Thursday, and then life got busy. And then we were rec- going to record on Friday, and then my power randomly went out for like three hours. Uh, And then we were going to record on Sunday, and we were both exhausted. And so here we are. It's Monday the 13th. It is currently 11 o'clock on the East Coast in the evening. So uh, all just to say that anything that happens between now and whenever you're listening to this, um, we we can't be held responsible for it. But we're going to try to keep you up to date as much as possible.
2: I will say I am definitely more sober than I am when we do our Saturday night recaps.
1: Yes. Yeah. Decidedly more sober than that. That is true. We're uh, we're more of a uh, lucid point of view here we'll say right now i will
2: admit that wouldn't take much that's right that's
1: right that's not not a high bar to clear in terms of sobriety (laughs) that's correct uh mike we have just like a bunch of news here this is just kind of the news dump a couple of uh, listener questions or feedback things you know we've just got some things we got to hit on it's been about a week Um, just a little bit of, of housekeeping house cleaning i don't know what the phrase i'm looking for there is but Uh, basically we, we are aware that there are bowl games coming up for the ACC. I don't know if you knew this, Mike, but there are, um, the ACC has 10 bowl games coming up this, this season. Um, those start two weeks from tonight. So those begin on December the 27th with Boston college taking on East Carolina in the military bowl. Um, we're going to start recording those previews probably about this time next week, um, you know, so we'll be about a week out or so. Not sure if we'll post them uh, before Christmas or wait until like the day after Christmas or something like that uh, to get those posted. But just know that those are coming. Those will be in your news feed. Uh, so just uh, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, they're coming. But for now, Mike, just a bunch of news things to catch up on. You ready? And go. Mike, we got head coaching uh, White Smoke. Coming out of uh, both Charlottesville and uh, Durham. we uh, On our last episode, we spoke about Virginia Tech hiring Brent Pry. We also spoke about the other hire, uh, Miami hiring Mario Cristobal. See, it was there. I know it was. Miami hires Mario Cristobal. Mike, we have two more new hires in the Coastal Division. The Virginia Cavaliers officially hire Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott to be their head coach to replace. Bronco Mendenhall there in Charlottesville, um, Elliot, a longtime assistant at Clemson. Um, he's a guy who w- we know his background. He's actually an, an industrial engineer. He's one of us, Mike, and and by us I mean I am the industrial you? engineer. You? <laughs> I was going to say you. He and I are I come from the cut from the same cloth um, in most ways, but especially that way in being an industrial engineer. Um, he will now go and be the head coach at Virginia. Uh, what do you think of this hire? Is it good move, bad move? Does it make sense?
2: I didn't know what way this was going, quite honestly. And that there was a lot going on here because <laughs> we all thought that they were hiring Anthony Poindexter mm-hmm. and that that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then it looked like Tony Elliott was going to be the hire. And then he got back on the private jet with his family, flew back to Clemson and didn't have a deal. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay. And then there was Josh Gaddis speculation, which I still think was agent fodder. You and I were texting about that. I I never really bought that Josh Gaddis was going to go take the UVA job. That was really out there and didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was like, ah, all right, well, maybe that's for a little bit of leverage there at UVA. And then uh, we heard a, uh, we'll get into this in a bit, Heard Jason Garrett was going to maybe be the Duke coach. I was like, this is out of control here. The coaching carousel is a disaster. <laughs> and then Tony Elliott takes the job at UVA. We'll get into the mic. I'll go at Duke. But I, I think this is a good I think it's a good hire for UVA. Mm-hmm. All that to say right now it looks like they were totally stepping in it, but I tweeted this out like a lot of Virginia Tech fans, especially because those are people I associate with, unfortunately, like a lot of Virginia Tech people were like just bagging on UVA for the process. It didn't look great for UVA, right? It's like, why can't anybody take this job? Mm -hmm. And then we hear about that report going through that says that UVA's administration approved, you know, funding for the athletic department for a new football facility. And then lo and behold, Joey, a couple hours later, Tony Elliott was officially named the head coach at UVA. It's like, huh, I wonder what was the catalyst for that move.
1: Well, and I wonder what kind of was the hang-up for maybe going to get a Anthony Poindexter type.
2: Correct. Like, one of you, right? Like, one of us. Yeah. Because um, If you're not able to land him, like, what's why aren't you able to land him? And then, why did Tony Elliott fly out of Charlottesville without a deal? It's like, something's not adding up. That was yeah. my takeaway from it. It's like, is it facilities? Is it... Carla Williams is it you know what is it during this interview process that's turning prospective coaches off and then we see the funding for the athletic facilities and then we see you yep. that Tony Elliott accepts the deal and I was texting with you I was texting with Scott I was texting with a buddy of mine for college and the same conversation I was having is like I don't think it's the facilities like I didn't think and I'm I think I'm now I'm wrong I was wrong about that I was like I don't think it's the facilities because I feel like a lot of coaches know the facility situation before they go interview in Charlottesville. Like they got coaches that have been there. They got connections here, connections there. You know, they're calling them up. Like they can back channel it to figure out what the facilities are before they step on campus. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Tony Elliott was aware. I think what he probably wasn't aware about was what was UVA's financial uh, incentive going to be moving forward to improve those facilities. Right. Yeah, That's the, what the commitment know. and the
1: approach on those moving forward. Right.
2: What was the commitment going to be? It wasn't like, Oh, I'm not taking that job. because the facilities are crap. It's like, no, he, he knows that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And all these guys interviewing know, know that it's how are we going to improve them?
3: That? Yeah. That's
2: what I care about a- as a new coach, how am I going to, do I have the tools I need here to be successful? Right. So I think that was more of it. And then we saw that news drop. Then we saw the Elliot hire. And I think, there was probably a number of things they were working through there, but all in all, I, I think it is a good hire, Joey. I mean, he's a former Proels Award winner. I, I don't think one bad year where they had some offensive issues undoes, you know, the years that he's had success, even with really good quarterbacks. And the one thing I will say too is, like, you we were bagging on Clemson's offense earlier this year, as we should, all year <laughs> because they were terrible. it was really they were really bad but they did improve late in the year, mm-hmm. right? They were, they were definitely starting to improve and, and figure some things out. So I'm not as low on Tony Elliott as, as some people seem to be, um, you know, it's one year, right. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll see moving forward who gets proven right or wrong with that, but he's had a pretty long track record of success. Yes. He's had really good quarterbacks. Yes. Dje wasn't as good, but, if you take a top quarterback away from a lot of really good college football teams, the offense is going to suffer. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm good with the Elliott higher. If I'm a UVA fan, I'm pretty happy with it.
1: I mean, I think it, it on some level it kind of depends on w- what is this regime going to look like, and by that like what is Tony Elliott's role going to be here? Because like I'm not going to totally absolve him of the offensive situation that we've seen in Clemson. You know, this year, to some degree, last year, Uh, last year was Tony Elliott's last first year, you know, completely as the V guy, as the offensive coordinator after Jeff Scott left. And I feel like at times we saw a bit of a drop off in play calling ability and productivity of the offense and some of these things last year with Clemson's offense, certainly not nearly to the degree we did this year. Now, that's that's the, the question or the issue, you know, that anyone is going to be able to bring up with Tony Elliott. The other question is, does it matter? Is Tony Elliott calling the plays at Virginia? Is Tony Elliott trying to be his own offensive coordinator? Or is Tony Elliott going to try to be more of a program builder, a little bit of a CEO type in the way that his mentor for the last 10 years has been and has been one of the models of in college football? Right? Because you've sat there and watched it up close as Dabo Swinney, you know, to some degree constructed but more importantly kind of maintained and upkept this culture that w- was this widely well-known well-regarded thing. So if that's the goal is to bring in Tony Elliott to to set up culture, to set up infrastructure, to recruit, to do all those things, I hard to think that there is a better candidate out there for it. It's the the questions that will arise in my mind if, is if it's also like, well, he's going to bring this offensive prowess and it's like mm he had a lot of talent to play with at Clemson on offense for some of the levels of productivity we've seen over the last two years. Um, So if that's the, if that's the goal, I'm not super fired up about it, but if it's just a program building recruiting infrastructure, you know, set the whole thing up for success that I get. And, and I I think that's a really sharp hire. If so,
2: I'm going to ask a question that's going to make some UVA fans swarm for some reason.
1: That's never happened before, Mike. No, it. Virginia fans be love me. you, Mike.
2: Yeah, couldn't be me. I love Virginia too. Remember? That's right. Virginia's, that's right. You got the you got the drop. You
0: know.
1: This is this is the point where I'm uh, I'm caught kind of with my pants down here because I didn't wow. have the soundboard open. But uh, as you say, Mike, Virginia is awesome. Yes, they are. Yes, they are.
2: Is UVA keeping Robert and I as their offensive coordinator?
1: I'll be a little surprised, honestly.
2: Yeah, UVA fans don't like him for some reason.
1: Well, Robert and I didn't do himself a lot of favors with a certain play call late in the game against their rivals. So it seems I'm like personally... the, the, the 1,050 play calls he made before that all season were totally thrown out the window the moment that he called a tackle pass on. <laughs> like third Virginia and eight in the red zone, yeah.
2: Yeah, against Virginia Tech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, You know... In some respects, I get it, but in other respects, I'm like, hey, there's a there's a reason why Brian Armstrong put up the numbers he did. Who was calling the place? They're like, oh, well, Jason Bex is quarterback's coach. It's like, yeah, but who was calling the place?
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. Just, Speaking right? of uh, Virginia's version of Big Cinco, he had an interesting little comment earlier today.
2: Yeah, mentioned that he is either going to the NFL or coming back to Virginia. He said transferring was not an option. So, that changes things a little bit, because when I saw he was entering his name, he he didn't like officially announce it, but Bronco Mendenhall was asked about it in a pre-bowl game press conference. He was asked, you know, what's Brandon Armstrong doing? And he said, well, you know, for all of our draft eligible players, we submitted the paperwork to the NFL, and that includes Brand Armstrong. So I think everybody just assumed, okay, new staff coming in, Bronco's out the door, you're coming off a really good year, like, is this the time to make the job? And it still might be. But for Brian Armstrong to come out and say that it's either I'm going to the draft or I'm coming back is pretty significant. And I'd have to think that Tony Elliott's going to say, all right, let's see what that paperwork says, and then let's see if we can keep you around. Because I'll tell you what, having a – would uh, would uh, he be a fifth-year senior,
1: Brian Armstrong, next year? Mm-hmm. How's it going work with the COVID
2: year? I'm trying to do all the math in my head. He's draft eligible this year for the first time, correct?
1: Then that would mean he's only three years out of high school, I would think.
2: Oh, I have completely yeah. lost
1: my sense of like how old anybody is in these NCAA eligibility standpoint. Yeah, UVA fans, are
2: gonna be, UVA fans are going to be screaming, but that's okay. Let's see.
1: Hang on. I got it. I got it. I got it. From the website. Okay, so he played in four games in 2018. I guess that's a red shirt. Seven games in 2019, 2020, 2021. So that's three so he, full years of playing a red shirt minus the COVID year. So he's technically well, he's two more years to play.
2: So he's got two more years. So technically he just finished his red shirt sophomore year by eligibility, regardless of what the site says about like what class he is, if he's a junior or whatever, he's got another two years of eligibility given his first year was a red shirt and 2020 did count. 2019 is the only season that actually counted for his eligibility prior mm-hmm. to this year. So, well, that's something. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, he will not be at UVA for two more years. I will say that it's going to be out of there
1: soon. Yeah, I'll be surprised, and honestly, I'll be a little bit. There's a piece of me that'll be surprised if he comes back next year. Just just thinking yeah. that, like, look at the season that he just had. How much better are you going to do than that? Like, what you know? Right. What better film are you going to put on on tape? You know, in terms of trying to get drafted or trying to play football professionally like oh yeah you know something to consider
2: I mean that's the thing though like I'm sure there's stuff that Brian Armstrong can improve on Mm -hmm. but how much are you going to improve on that at Virginia with a new offense and the whole nine yeah it's a question he's going to have to ask himself
1: I want to take this to Clemson here real quick Mike because Tony Elliott leaves Meaning now he joins defensive coordinator Brent Venables and athletic director Dan Radicovich, and a couple of years ago offensive coordinator Jeff Scott in leaving, and now it is Dabo at the top, and everybody else around him is being replaced. That uh, that that whole Will Smith Fresh Prince of Bel Air, <laughs> has been just yeah. like having a hell of a week, Mike. Yeah, uh, and so this this like kind of completes the whole you know, quote unquote mass exodus or whatever at the top of mm-hmm. uh, Clemson's football regime. I don't think, I don't think people can blame me if I said that this is the moment that, you know, th- th- this put it this way. This is a, a critical uh, like, you know, fork in the road moment for Clemson's football program, because Dabo is now going to be replacing, uh, you know, his main lieutenants and getting his boss replaced And either that's going to work and they're going to keep being Clemson or they're not. Like, I feel like it kind of only goes in one of two directions. Uh, Yeah.
2: I mean, I... That's like... Maybe I just look at it differently, but, like, they just recruit so well, Joey. You know? They have been. And, like... They really, really, really recruit an elite level, and you know, how bad can it get? I guess is the question I have in the ACC. How bad can it get? Like that's that's my that's my question. Like you know where, I don't think
1: you know where the Clemson, ACC. You know where Clemson's recruiting class is ranked right now? As we're like a day and a half before early signing day.
2: Uh, where are they at right now? Right this second.
1: 15th nationally. 15th. Let's see. There's one, two ACC teams ranked higher than them.
2: See where they finish. But, yeah.
1: We'll see. You know, something that Bud Elliott's talked about a little bit on Cover 3 is that Clemson did have a pretty ridiculous run there for a little while of yeah hitting on recruits. Basically, yes. that you know, they they didn't have to oversign. It was like the guys that they brought in, and even some of the three stars. You know, they were able to develop up into superstars. Like they had a run that was like either they had really figured something out that others had not, or they kind of got lucky there for five six years with some of the luck that Red. they had in terms of guys turning out. You know, and, and meeting their potential. So, I I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that's it's going to just willy-nilly, keep up the way it has been?
2: We'll see. We will? We'll see. I'm just not, I, I guess I'm just not, like, I, I know national nervous is like, oh, man, good luck to Clemson. How is he going to replace all that?
3: Like, mm-hmm.
2: so, like, you know, I think, I think he'll, and then I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I think he'll figure it out. Maybe I'm naive just to think that, but I, I the, the, the more interesting part of this for me, for Clemson is the defensive side of the ball because mm-hmm. it's been a while. He's 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 replaced offensive coordinators. It's been fine. Like it'll be offense. I'm not too worried about. Yeah, defense is the side of the ball where I, I think we're really going to learn quickly. Um, I know they're considering out of officially been announced yet, but I know Clemson was looking at promoting from within uh, for for a defensive coordinator. So I mean, we'll see, but. That's the side of the ball where I have some questions because he hasn't had to hire a defensive coordinator in a decade.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: Offensively, you know, he's replaced Jeff Scott with uh, Tony Elliott being the primary play caller. I know there were co-ocs there for a bit, but with Elliott being the primary play caller and, you know, he's had to replace Chad Morris before. You know, he replaced Billy Napier. Like, you know, Dabo has replaced offensive coordinators before. Mm -hmm. Defensive side of the ball is where he hasn't done it in a while. And uh, he hasn't done it, what, since the 2011 Orange Bowl? Like, that's when Brett Venables came on right mm-hmm. after that game where they got mollywhopped by West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, and he hasn't has been had history. to. Yeah, the rest has been history. You know, that's why they've gone on this unbelievable run. I mean, am I saying that Clemson's going to go out and they're going to win a national championship every two or three years? I mean, I, I don't know that we can just say that they're going to continue to continue to do that. I think there's too much talent in the SEC and Ohio State's not going anywhere and we we've seen what Michigan's done this year. I mean there there's definitely teams that are that are cruising right along but I guess my question is what is Clemson like define Clemson being Clemson winning 10 plus and being in the playoff conversation is that
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean I would say yeah, 7 and 1 or better in ACC play and winning the division and being in the conference in the, the the playoff conversation. I think so.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't see anybody in the Atlantic pushing them like in the next, it's going to take a few years still. I think like even with Florida state going to take a while, uh, Louisville don't trust Satterfield wakes, wake NC state got to got to recruit better. Like,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and then like, if you go over the coastal side, like there have been, there have been some intriguing hires headlined, of course, by Mario Cristobal,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but it's going to take Mario Cristobal at least a couple years to change the culture there. Like Miami's had the town. That's not mm-hmm. the problem there. It's it's, uh, it's a culture hire, which yeah. I think Cristobal will be good, but I just like this was Clemson's bad year, and if it weren't for losing to NC State, we, we kind of would have. Been in the same spot we've been in, <laughs> like it's just yeah, it's interesting. Like this was the this was the down year because it can it get worse? Will it get worse? Does it mm-hmm.
1: get worse? Like that's the that's the question. So I'll I'll leave this topic with some food for thought, Mike. Um, since Brent Venables was hired as Clemson's defensive coordinator, the Tigers have lost, I believe it is seventeen games. Let's see two, four, seven, eight, nine, eleven, uh, 12, 14, and now 17, basically you know, coming up to the end of this this past season. So they've lost 17 games. Prior to Brent Venables being hired as defensive coordinator, in those four seasons, and it's really like three seasons in change where you know including when Dabo was the interim, they lost 19 games. They had nineteen losses in three and a half years, basically, with Dabo as the head coach before Venables was hired. They have seventeen losses in the ten seasons since he's been hired. So I it, it's just an interesting little inflection point in the kind of what has become Clemson over the last decade is when he was come he came into the program. And it's when now that he's leaving the program, and you know, not to mention who else is leaving the program, including the AD who jumped in right around the time that he was hired. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's just this is there again the level of consistency that they have had on their coaching staff has been pretty unprecedented for especially for a program at that you know upper echelon of the sport. So this is a little bit of like uncharted territory for them, and this this regime is this level of instability. So I'm curious to see kind of where that goes.
2: I, yes, I am too. But if you're going to, if you're going to, and, and I, I encourage the listeners, right? If you're going to say Clemson's doomed, because I'm seeing that Joey's not saying this, but I'm seeing that on social mm-hmm. media, right? Clemson's mm-hmm. doomed. They're screwed. Out go the coordinators. What, you know, AD's gone. What are they going to do? Yeah. Streaks over whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who's going to consistently challenge them in the ACC in the near term? Got hmm. You got to answer that question.
3: Mm-hmm. Like
2: you got to answer that question.
1: If not, Clemson, and I then don't who? think
2: if not Clemson, then who? And you got to have a definitive answer, right? You got to have a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have one. Like I don't yeah. think we have one yet. Like we'll see how these hires pan out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't think we have one yet.
1: Yeah. I, that's where I'm at with it. I'm curious to see. Yeah. Mike, that's enough on Virginia. Let's keep moving. Um,
2: <laughs> also Clemson. <laughs> uh,
1: we have White Smoke, as mentioned, in Durham. Duke hires Mike Elko, former former Wake Forest defensive coordinator who was hired away by Notre Dame to the same position, who was then immediately hired away by Texas A&M to the same position. Um, very, very well-regarded defensive coordinator, a guy who is really sharp in his own right. He's an alumnus of uh, Penn, so he's an Ivy League guy. Um, I thought this was a good hire for Duke. It felt like it kind of came out of left field to some degree, and I think part of that, Mike, is is honestly like I'm a little surprised that this was the job that Mike Elko was going to take. Like the Duke job? Like, a guy that's as well regarded as he is and has had the level of success he's had, I would have thought he, he would have gone somewhere that has more historical success under their belts than Duke does.
2: Right. I would have, too. <clears throat> and it's the same argument with, with with Tony Elliott when it was saying, Okay, if Tony Elliott doesn't take UVA, there was like reports out late last week saying, If he doesn't take UVA... You know, he could take Duke or he could go back to be Clemson's offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking in my head, okay, so he's either going to UVA or he's going to be Clemson's offensive coordinator because there ain't no way in hell he's been waiting around all this time to take the freaking Duke job
3: Mm -hmm.
2: because we could talk about UVA and where it ranks. But I meant to say this earlier, like UVA is not that bad of a job that all these really good candidates should be like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Like something wasn't adding up like UVA is in that spot. Duke's different. Duke is a really hard job, right? So I didn't really understand the Tony Elliott thing. Mike Elko gets hired, and at first, I was texting you about this. At first, I'm like, I don't get that, you know? Mm-hmm. For the same reason you just mentioned. It's like, he's been waiting around. And it was the same thing I was saying with Elliott. He's been waiting around all this time to take the Duke job? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Then I took a step back and thought about it a little bit more. Elko has already had experience recruiting a really, really difficult job in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. As a defensive coordinator, not too long ago, by the way, like within the last five or six years,
1: In the life since of this we've been podcast. doing this podcast. Yeah. yeah I was yeah, going to say, thank you. Yeah. Within the life of this podcast. In the basketball conference era.
2: Yeah. 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 So as you all know, it hasn't been that long. Don't age us. So, he's already had experience and he knows the recruiting landscape in North Carolina. And he knows what it's like to recruit at a really rigorous academic school where football is not exactly of the highest priority. Safe to say
3: Mm -hmm.
2: he knows what that's like. Mm -hmm. He's already done that. He's already, and he goes from wake forest. He goes up to Notre Dame, which we know that they can get some athletes in South bend, but similar in that there are some academic restrictions in regard to recruiting, like certain five-star athletes, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big reason why Brian Kelly is no longer coaching at Notre Dame. (laughs) It's because of that, that money, of course. Yeah. So point being Elko has done this at various academic institutions that have made it difficult on him to recruit at various levels. Right. And this is an interesting landing spot for Elko. And I think it could work. I think it could work because Mm -hmm. I think he could. It is clear. The one thing that's clear about Mike Elko is regardless of the type of talent that he's had, whether it's at Wake Forest with a bunch of three stars, Notre Dame with a bunch of four and fives, A&M with mostly four and fives, like he's been able to get the most out of the talent that he's gotten at every single level that we've seen him in the power five. Mm hmm. And I don't, I'd have no reason to believe that Duke would be any different. Yeah. Now, as with any defensive minded coach, the offensive staff is going to be really critical. That's going to be a theme this offseason. Mm-hmm. Talked about that with the Virginia Tech job with Brent Pry. Well, the offensive, the offensive staff, staff and what they're allowed to do. And what they're allowed to do. Hell, that even applies to UVA. Like Elliot hiring his offensive coordinator, what's he going to do? What's mm-hmm. his role, right? So that's a big question here with the Alco hire, Joey. But I like it more today than I did late last week when it broke. because so I thought more about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. Um, I mean, he's again right he- for Duke. Yes. Great for Duke. A, a, yeah, if you're a Period. Duke fan, this is a great hire. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a guy who's been associated with some really successful programs. He's run some really great defenses. Like, in a lot of ways, kind of an up-and-comer uh, of a coach. He's only 44 years old, relatively young. Um, he has run... That shocked me. I yeah. didn't realize he was that young. Well, it's, I think he's been coaching football since he was, like, in middle school or something, it looks like. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, he graduated from Penn in 1998. And was, you know, started his career immediately after that. So he never played professionally or anything like that. But, you know, he just immediately got into coaching. Um, I mean, he's just a super well-regarded guy who clearly, you know, when, when Notre Dame is showing up to Wake Forest and plucking your guy and Texas A&M is backing up the Brinks truck trying to go get, get you out of Notre Dame, like, he's well-regarded. And, and he, he's, he's improved defenses wherever he's been. He's, he's, he's just a, he's a good coach, I think. But as with any any of these, you know, coordinators being hired into a head coaching job, you just never know because being a coordinator versus being a head coach are two very different roles. So it's it's hard to say. You know, does he run his own defense at Duke? Same same questions as, as with Tony Elliott. Does he run his own defense at Duke? Does he bring in somebody else to do it? You know, what does he do about putting together program culture and and uh, you know, an overall strategy with recruiting. Like, I don't think just anything is going to work at Duke. You got to kind of cater that to the specific type of school and the restrictions and all that you have there. So a lot of questions that need to be answered. Um, it is interesting. And I'll say this. And, and I, th- again, mm-hmm. great hire for Duke. If you're a Duke football fan, and you're listening to this. First of all, thank you. Let us know. We love you. We, <laughs> you know, we need to know you're out. First there. of all, you guys exist. We need to know you're out there, please. Yeah. Second of all, I would be willing to bet, and this is interesting because, you know, David Cutcliffe just got done with a run of, what, 13 years there or something? I mean, he's been there for a long time. Long
2: time. Yeah, a long time.
1: Um, I would bet there's no way that Elko is there for more than, like, six years. Because either this is going to work, and he's going to get hired elsewhere, or it's not going to work. He's going to get fired. Like I don't really, and he'll a,
2: still probably get hired elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And he's, he's just, he's a guy that, you know, where he is in his career and everything. I don't think he's going to stay at Duke one way or the other for the long term, which is interesting because that was a lot of the talk during the search was that, well, they just got done with a guy who was there for, you know, 12, 13, 14 years, whatever it was like, I think Duke is going to look for someone who can be a little bit of a lifer to replace him. It's If that's right. what, if that's what the goal was, I don't think you found it. I think you found a really good coach. No. I have nothing but good things to say about him, but you know, it, it's going to be interesting to watch and kind of see how this whole era under Mike Elko unfolds.
2: I mean, what they did, Joey is they found somebody who's going to elevate the profile of the program. So where it was supposed to be when David Cutcliffe left it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like, he works really hard to build this program out and, and to, to bring it back from the depths of the abyss. And then they got there, he brought it back and then they sunk right back into it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, man, we got to get back to being like mid stage David Cutcliffe at Duke. And if yeah. Elko can do that, then Duke becomes a more attractive job for the next guy. And then Elko can just go make a bunch of money in the SEC.
3: Yeah.
2: Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. It's better than he found it. And reasonably speaking, I mean, a lot of dude fans will look at this and they're like, that that's what they're hoping for. That's best case scenario. Elko comes in, they start winning seven or eight games a year. They're going to bowl games again. Mm-hmm. He he jumps, goes to the next job. They hire somebody else, hopefully from his staff, to just keep the culture going. Yeah. Pull the Notre Dame with what what they did with Freeman. Pull mm-hmm. that off.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, like, you know. Him getting hired elsewhere, that sounds bad. You know, it sounds like, you know, your leader is leaving you. Right. But also, if he's getting hired elsewhere, it means he was doing really good. And right. It means you had some good teams there for a year or two. You know, so that's... It's not like it leaves you high and dry with nothing to show for it. You know, you probably had a couple of really good seasons.
2: Right. And it Duke, like, what working can you ask for?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Overall, I think a good hire. You mentioned something earlier, Mike, that the name that came up late in this coaching search that – I don't know where this came from. It seemed like it came completely out of left field again, and I think – thank God for all involved that it didn't come to fruition, but somehow Jason Garrett was being associated with this job. Where on earth – Jason Garrett I don't think has ever been a college football coach at all. Like, Why? He'd probably be better at it. Maybe. I but I don't know where
2: it came from. I saw Susie Colbert put a tweet up and I mean she's yeah. not reporting anything. Take that for what it's worth. Um she's she's a host. I mean, she's not a reporter. Yeah. she's she's a host for ESPN. This um,
1: this felt like it was I don't know. just the I saw the agent putting some stuff out there to see what'll stick and I don't know. I get the impression that it was never really particularly close with Jason Garrett, but they just, you know, no. s- somebody convinced a couple of the wrong you convinced a couple of the right people of what was going on and sold it or something.
2: Yeah, what what job was it? Um was it LSU or was it was it OU? I think it was Oklahoma. Um after that opened right after Lincoln Riley went to went to USC where Adam Schefter posted the tweet about, oh, Cliff Kingsbury is expected to be a candidate for the Oklahoma head coaching job. Hmm. And it's like, did Kingsbury send this to you? (laughs) (laughs) It's a tweet like, where is this coming from? Is this for a raise?
1: Cliff Kingsbury trying to get a raise.
2: Yeah, and sometimes it just works out better. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury didn't have any great college teams. Texas Tech
3: Mm -hmm. ends up
2: in the NFL and... Cardinals lost tonight. as We sit here recording Monday night, but like they're 10 and three. He's, he's doing great in the NFL compared to his track record in college. So sometimes it works, you know, maybe Jason Garrett making a move to college would have been better for him, but I don't know. It mm-hmm. didn't make any sense on any level that he would want to take his recently fired ass from the New York football giants and go heading down to Durham to coach Duke. <laughs> Like on what plan does that make any sense?
1: Just just be an offensive coordinator for a couple of years, man. Like you're fine. Don't worry about it. You're the head and coach like, of the Cowboys for like a decade.
2: Yeah. It's like, hey, college football,
1: can we just like we just be cool?
2: Like what are we what are we doing? Why are we hiring Jason Garrett at
1: Duke? Read a friggin' book. Come on. It's like we've been out of control. <laughs> Everyone needs to grow up. Come on. Get it together. All right. Get together. together. Uh, all right. So Virginia has a head coach. Duke has a head coach. Good job, both. Good hires. I have no I have no complaints. No questions. No concerns. All good. Great work. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> we will see how it goes. We will see. We'll see. Mike, let's move on. We've got more news before we get to it. Uh, I need to remind the people about Section103.com. Are you are you aware of section 103.com Mike Oh I am aware you know that they have the best Georgia Tech apparel on the internet uh, they have some great designs they have the ATL logo they've got official word marks all sorts of things they've got performance wear, cotton stuff they've got t-shirts sweatshirts uh, hoodies all sorts of great things for men women children everybody the whole family uh, in, in particular they've still uh, they have in now after a second run of them, they now have even more of the Feliz Bobby Dodd sweatshirts. Yes. Go check those out. Uh, for basketball season, they've got a Welcome to the Thriller Dome t shirt. Really cool, kind of retro looking design. Um, they've got some of the uh, shirts with the, the the little banners that fly off the Ramblin' Wreck that say, you know, to hell with Georgia. They've got some of those. Mm-hmm. All sorts of great things at section103.com. Something for everybody. Can I, yes. Can I mention something? You may.
2: Uh, if Steven went to a staff meeting on Monday morning, he probably knew more people than Jeff Collins knew at his.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, th- there's a chance of that for sure. Um, Sorry, continue. Well, they sh- they, they would have been a lot more comfortable getting to know each other if they were wearing Section103.com wear. Uh, we'll say that's that. That's true. <laughs> the 404 of the culture. That's right. Mike, if you're looking for a, a Christmas gift for all the Georgia Tech fans in your life, a great place to find them is Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order over there at Section103.com. It helps us out. It helps Steven out. Um, it might even help the Georgia Tech staff get to know each other now that there's been some uh, some turnover in that that realm of things. So, uh, yeah, go do that. Promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at Section103.com. Shout out to Steven and the gang. Appreciate their support.
2: Known for turnovers on and off the field, Georgia Tech. <laughs>
1: No comment. God, no comment.
0: I
2: just, yeah, I, I can't remember if we had the chart choice thing in a rundown.
1: We we don't. Um, sure, let's just do that right now. Uh, it's a short yeah. choice. Uh, Georgia Tech's running backs coach, former Georgia Tech running back, and uh, he's also probably Georgia Tech's best recruiter, probably their best position coach. He has been hired by Lincoln Riley to go join the staff at USC. So he has now jun- jumped off the uh, the ship that depending on who you ask, might be sinking. Um, mm-hmm. That was not really a great thing to learn. <laughs> right. He was beloved. He was a potential offensive coordinator candidate. He was a potential head coaching candidate, you know, potentially at some point. We'll see if he ever makes it back to the flats, but, uh, you know, that that sucked for Georgia Tech fans. I'll say that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, a couple things, right? Number one, don't blame him. Nope. It's very easy to recruit at USC even easier to recruit when you know the guy's not a lame duck head coach.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Secondly, uh, the fact that he was an alum and Jeff Collins couldn't keep him tells you everything you need to know about what's going on there in Atlanta.
3: To mm-hmm.
2: a degree. Now, look, USC paying him more money. Sure. Of course, of course, paying him more money. And yeah, it's a sexier job than coaching at Georgia tech. Nobody's going to dispute that.
1: But trying to fall off the Lincoln Riley coaching tree?
2: Yes. Right. That's been successful for people. Mm-hmm. So I get it. I, I really get it. And I, I think it's a logical move for Tashar's choice to make. At the same time, he is an alum. You mm-hmm. gotta try to keep the alum on the staff. Yep. Because that's something Virginia Tech didn't do for a while with Fuente that didn't keep alums. Well. And I was like, what are you doing?
1: We could also talk about Georgia Tech specifically trying to hire alumni as many in as many positions as possible to the point that they're probably overdoing it.
2: Yeah, it's a it's
1: almost fine a line problem. Yeah,
2: fine line you need to walk. Yeah, I agree. There's issues with that too.
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're losing your best position coach. You're losing your best recruiter. That's it's not a good feeling. It's not a good look. And especially when no. you know. You've also lost like three or four commitments this week. You've lost uh, your best player to the transfer portal. Um, I mean, it, it's been a lot of bad news for Georgia Tech in the last you know couple of weeks since the season ended. So, yes, I, I, I don't know what this is going to look like over the next couple of months. But the vibes in Atlanta, not good right now.
2: You may have written an article or two about this, but I will say that you called it.
1: all i'll say mike is that we are on schedule brother we are (laughs) we are right on schedule right on schedule so uh it's a shard choice no longer on staff at georgia tech mark whipple no longer on staff at pittsburgh uh he resigned his position as pittsburgh's offensive coordinator and pretty instantaneously like that day agreed to be the offensive coordinator at nebraska so there were there were some rumblings sure. about that, and it might be a retirement thing. He's not not a spring chicken exactly. And then Mike he just turns around and takes the Nebraska OC job, which sure, a b yeah yeah I you know okay look Pitt's offense was really good this year, they were right
2: um, right yes they were
1: they were really good at a couple of points at the end of last season, yep. Otherwise, Mark Whipple not actually truly like some offensive savant I agree and now you're gonna to try to run like basically an air raid system in the Big Ten West let me know how that goes
2: yeah probably poorly but like <laughs> Almost my certainly whole thing poorly. <laughs>
1: yeah my my whole thing with this
2: is like if you're Mark Whipple in what dimension does this make any semblance of sense like the one thing I'll tell you what Joey the one thing I value the one thing I value more than anything else is going to coach for a guy who's a lame duck. That's what I, that's what I value, you know, like, and and apparently Uh, that's very high or something. Apparently it's very high on Mark Whipple's priority list as well. I don't get this. Yeah. I number two two things. Number one, I was being sarcastic. Number two, I don't get this at all from Mark Whipple. Now I know there are rumblings that he might not be back at, at Pittsburgh, but like you said, Joey, that's because a lot of people thought he was going to retire. Mm-hmm. Not because he was going to go coach at another school. Yeah. And I think the argument around Pittsburgh was like, how much better does it get for Mark Whipple than this? Like your offense has looked the best it ever has looked to Pittsburgh. Your quarterback was literally a Heisman trophy finalist. Mm-hmm. He's going to onto the NFL. Like you mentioned, Joey, he's no spring chicken. Like, how much better does it get for Mark Whipple? I'll tell you what. Went to Nebraska, ain't it? That's not it. I I don't get that at all. I I don't. I don't get it. And Adrian Martinez just transferred too. Mm -hmm. Not that. Not that Adrian Martinez is like a top five quarterback in the sport or something. But he's a veteran, and Mm -hmm. he's not the worst quarterback I've ever seen. So that certainly doesn't help a first year offensive coordinator in new school.
1: Yeah, I don't get it. Strange move.
2: Very odd. Like. Not surprised. I'm not I'm not totally surprised he left Pittsburgh, but I thought he would leave Pittsburgh to retire. This is this is a weird move. I don't right. I don't really understand it. I don't get it. It's going to Nebraska doesn't make life sense. Like, why would you move to Nebraska if you're in your 60s? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, what are you going to retire there? You're in Lincoln. Like, no offense to anybody listening from Lincoln, but that sounds horrible. <laughs> We can do retire there and I mean, then to each their own. I don't know. Uh, different strokes, different it.
1: folks, the whole thing.
2: That's that's right.
1: <laughs> I don't get it. I don't really get it either. I don't really get it either. Um, I, I understand, you know, if, if he had some goal or some intent of trying to leave Pittsburgh, this makes sense as a jumping off point. We'll say that. I mean, like you mentioned, Kenny Pickett, Heisman finalist, um, you know, it was a three-year kind of build that resulted in one of the better offenses in the country. Like
2: to pure to purely leave Pittsburgh or to to go to Nebraska,
1: to, just to leave Pittsburgh, just fair. Yeah, if God, the whole point fair. was, you know, I, I I don't know how much longer I want to be at Pitt. You know, is it one more year, or whatever? This is a perfectly fine jumping-off point.
2: Yes, I would agree.
1: I just don't. Under- <laughs> yeah, I don't understand the landing point. That, that <laughs> I mean, all. I.
2: I- I agree with that. I mean, that's the case I was making for him to
1: retire, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to go coach in Nebraska. I understand the retirement landing point way better than the Nebraska coaching point.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to do some, like, that's five. maybe it's like some 5-D chess he's doing.
1: My man will turn 65 years old in the spring practice realm or the spring practice time frame next year. Uh, he's been in coaching for over 40 years now.
2: Yeah, yeah, and like you mentioned, running air raid in the Big Ten West, that's something that will make you age
1: mm-hmm Let's see how it's going for Jeff Brom over there
2: uh yeah you want to talk to guys who are stressed <laughs> yeah yeah quite stressed he could get the Louisville job anyway though like a year so that's fine
1: that is true that is true a uh, couple things Mike that we had from listeners coming off the last show and again we're just kind of emptying the news news and, and interactions stuff here
0: yeah,
2: shooting from the hip.
1: Yeah, um, Mike. On the last, the last episode, we talked about Miami hiring Mario Cristobal uh, mm-hmm. off of Oregon, and one of the things that we mentioned was some of the news or, or some of the insinuations around that Miami football all of a sudden has a whole bunch of money because the Miami health system has made a good, healthy amount of profit off of the COVID-19 pandemic, more or less. Uh, basically, all the people coming in for treatments and such, and the way that insurance and all that works.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're reading between the lines a little bit, but when they say uh, they made a bunch of money in 2020, you do the math. Nobody was outside.
1: I was going to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, put two and yeah. two together. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had someone reach out, um, and it was 1MG of Epi, At Geezer Squeezer on Twitter. (laughs) At who? Good night, Geezer Squeezer. Geezer Squeezer. Just make sure you ask first. Um, Yeah, yeah.
2: Make make sure you ask and also make sure to give a call and check on all of your relatives in Florida this evening.
1: So I'm (laughs) going to. So I'm going to read this real quick from from at Geyser Squeezer. Uh, Miami hasn't used any Health money on football, nor will it. UM has changed its rules and is now allowing boosters to pay coaches salaries. Obviously, this is standard practice all over college sports. Also, it's unfair to suggest UM is a pandemic profiteer. UM had a significant decline in its earnings in fiscal 2020 as the initial months of the COVID-19 pandemic impacted operations. The nonprofit university in Coral Gables was among the most pr- financially impacted schools because it operates a major healthcare system. Patient visits declined dramatically, and non-elective surgeries were temporarily halted during the period of the, pan- the pandemic. Other than that, I enjoy your pod. Um, I will say this, Mike. Um, I, I, hopefully, all this is true. I hope it is. Like to me, it is fairly dystopian. If you know, we have a, a, a pandemic going on and it's basically we're using that to ex- exploit our healthcare systems to then spend money on college football coaching buyouts and salaries and, and all that. Like there is so much wrong with that, that train of logic. And I think that's kind of what we were discussing on the last show. So I hope that's untrue. I hope it is. However, I just want to make the point in our defense. I, I, I didn't make this up. You didn't make this up. This is like this is not something that we are we are just kind of connecting dots like you know like we're we're Charlie in uh in Always Sunny on that one episode right like this is stuff that has been connected on a lot of different outlets. So yeah. I just want to make that point that this is not a pure basketball conference editorial that there's no. a lot of other people that are connecting those dots. So now
2: I'm not, I'm yeah, we're not, we're not here trying to commit slander and libel and all this stuff against Miami, but this is from the a athletic, bit, but not really. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I, I just made a geezer squeezer joke. Everybody go check on their grandparents. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, jokes are going to fly. This is from The Athletic, from Manny DeVarro, Miami's b writer at The Athletic. Mm-hmm. And this is the quote that we read on the last podcast. I'm going to read it again because I don't think they mince words here, right? I don't mm-hmm. think Manny DeVarro minces his words. Uh, quote, until recently, Miami's administration had been unwilling to allocate funds to the athletic department, instead leaving it to cover all expenses on its own. But the success of Miami's U Health system, which made more than four hundred million in profits last year, and promises from big-time billionaire boosters and donors back upgrades at Miami, changed schools' stance. End quote. Hmm. We're not making this up. Mm-hmm. Is I mean Manny Navarro is a is is the beat writer for the Athletic. He writes at the Athletic for a reason, right? Because he's credible. He didn't just make that up. Right. So, the the part where he says the success of Miami's U Health System we made more than $400 million in profits last year, the money came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. We had a worldwide pandemic, either. I mean, we're still, I mean, depending on who you talk to, we're still in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, this is still a thing that's like happening. Like, people are still getting sick with this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was a huge, huge deal in 2020 now pre pre vaccines and everything else and people are still getting sick But miami's u health system made more than 400 million dollars in profits profits not revenue profits mm-hmm. like the money came from somewhere so we're not we're not sitting here making this up is all i'm saying this mm-hmm. isn't like like you mentioned this isn't a joey and mike editorial thing
1: yeah so. so that was just you know that was my response but again i hope that's untrue i hope mm-hmm. it's all it's all wrong and and you know what I have. I'll say this too. What I have heard other other reporters talk about as it relates to college football is that uh, there are a couple of extraordinarily large money donors around the Miami program that are mm-hmm. very close personal ties to Mario mm-hmm. Cristobal that might be a little bit more uh, <laughs> influenced to give up some of that money for a Cristobal led program. So. You know, it makes plenty of sense that they would be very willing to help hire him and make sure that he has what he needs to come down and, and lead that program. So, I think that's on the table as well. Is that maybe it is just a Cristobal specific thing that is the thing that's going to unlock money that Miami otherwise hasn't been able to unlock?
2: Yeah. I, again, this is this is going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Miami's got Dan Radakovich now as their AD. They got a top ten head coach in Cristobal, top five maybe, depending on who we're polling. Like he's very good. This, yeah. if not now, then when?
1: Yep. Which to that to that effect, because you know nobody's safe from the jokes. Um, is there like a little little part of this hiring, Mike, that has uh, some Mark Richt vibes to you?
2: Oh no, I'm just asking. a little
1: bit. No, a
2: little bit. Asking for a friend.
1: We had all these problems, but now we've got the we've got the head coach. Now we've got it. This will solve everything, right?
2: Well, we thought it did, and then we realized it was turnover luck,
1: (laughs) which is different from a turnover chain, but kind of related. It was it was born from that back in 2017. (laughs) Came from somewhere. Like, Like I said, it came from somewhere. The uh, good old-fashioned hashtag damn turnover chain, if you ask me. Uh, let's keep moving. Um, boo, 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 boo. Let's see. Uh, Kenny Pickett was a Heisman finalist. Uh, we I don't know that we ever actually recorded after that was announced. So, uh, you know, congrats to him. He, he didn't win it. Bryce Young won it. But Kenny Pickett got close. Um, and... Honestly, it got a little bit dicey there because I remember in like week four or something, I said something to the effect of, come on, he's not going to win the Heisman Trophy. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) he wasn't that far from it.
2: I mean, he was the finalist.
1: I was going to say he got to New York, which is a lot more than almost anybody else can say. So uh, congratulations to him for a a brilliant campaign and getting recognized on uh, on national TV that way. Uh, Mike, we had a listener question. Just, you know. This is. There's no segue. There's no okay, segue. we just had another one. This is at boil peanut water on Twitter. He is his name <laughs> is Andrew Thacker intern. Okay,
2: rank rank them. Boiled peanut water or geezer squeezer.
1: <laughs> rank them. Uh, like number one, geezer squeezer. Number two, uh, boiled yeah. peanut water. Yeah,
2: boiled peanut water is very
1: <laughs> random now. <laughs> So uh, Boyle Peanut Water asks, "Do y'all think the transition slash Year Zero narrative and the COVID year helped Jeff Collins to build a culture that didn't learn to win? They clearly recruited well, but with the built-in excuses for losing those first two seasons, Georgia Tech never figured out how to win." He goes on to say, "When someone knows that they have an excuse to not do work, they'll probably not work as hard." Collins, of course, still shoulders all the blame, but I wonder what it would have looked like if the expectations were to win immediately.
2: So basically, the question is the inverse of what we usually say with coaches, where they come into a program in year one, they set expectations way too high, the narrative comes around at the end of year one, where they don't perform quite as well as the coaches said that they would, and all of a sudden, they're behind the eight ball we're saying that this is the inverse where he just set expectations too low and then the team quit. Is that what we're asking?
1: Um something along those lines, I guess.
2: I I don't think he set the expect well, well let me let me take a step back. I don't think he set the expectations too low in year 0. Right? No. Like it was a pretty significant rebuild. Like for him to say that and that's not because that's not because Georgia Tech didn't have any talent when Paul Johnson left. Mm-hmm. It was a rebuild because of the types of players they had to get in there to run the offense that Jeff Collins wanted to run and to run the defense that they wanted to run. A different scheme on offense and defense. Offense got all the hype. The defensive scheme was different, too. Yeah. It's not like Jeff Collins came in and was running the same defense as before. Mm-hmm. Like it was a different defense, different players, different personnel offense is yeah i get it was a big deal cuz you had to recruit linemen who could actually pass block and you know you had to recruit something other than like 17 running backs like i get all that and that's where the the biggest you know hurdles had to be jumped over right in the first mm-hmm. couple years but if you look at this Georgia Tech team this past year defense was a bigger problem than the offense
3: mhm
1: so 100%
2: I don't I don't know I mean I, I don't think he set the bar too low early on because I do think it was a significant rebuild I think now the issue with Georgia Tech is that Jeff Collins is uh for lack of a better term kind of a con artist he's uh a good recruiter and it just feels like every every week he comes out and it's just like something new right yeah. in, in a press conference like and I I feel like, I could be critical of this because I just watched this at my school.
1: <laughs> like, yeah,
2: I just watched this happen. Like, I'm seeing a lot of parallels. Like, I just watched of, this happen. Yeah, what excuse making?
1: And I, I gotta, I mean, I would be lying if I said, you know, I hadn't even thought of how there might be a connection between what Jeff Collins is doing at Georgia Tech versus what we've been talking about Justin Fuente doing at Virginia Tech for the last right. like four years, right? Um, uh, because that exact thought has been hitting me in the last, you know, week or two of man. I'm saying a lot of things about Jeff Collins that I have been saying about Justin Fuente on this podcast for four years. Um, yeah. And, and I've used the Jeff Collins con man, you know, kind of those words in the same sentence a few times lately. But I I will say this. I, I don't, I, I don't think that he has any sort of, you know, nefarious goals or I don't think that he's intentionally trying to be a con man. I I'm no. I have used it in no. the, in the sense of like, I think that he's a little bit of this kind of like charismatic cult of personality guy that tries to get people to ignore the substance of what he's mm-hmm. actually doing and putting together right. instead of, you know, well, well, but just remember the message, just stay on brand and use the same four buzzwords all the time and, you know, do those kinds of things. So um, I think there's a little something to it. And, and I think really what maybe we're getting at here is, especially with the way that Jeff Collins and his, his coaching staff seem like they really want to handle the locker room as being quote unquote players coaches is like, they, they want to give like, they want to give players the benefit of the doubt or they, they, they want to be on the player's side. And so I think what we're getting at here is that the, the whole like, well, this is going to be a historic rebuild and Oh, it's a COVID year. And like these things, I think only added fuel to the fire for them to not go hard on players when they mess up to not like actually provide the proper feedback and coaching and, and things that were needed. I think it gave them excuses on, well, you know, that's okay. Just, you know, do better next time and, and and things like that. Whereas I think there was more accountability that should have been driven uh, at times. So.
2: (laughs) Right. That's okay. You could do better next time is, like something that you tell your dog when he shits on the floor you know like yeah i know it's just like now now i will say there is some credence to it though because in 2020 they literally could not they, they literally could not coach the way that they normally could that's not just at georgia tech that's across college football
1: oh i mean they were like, doing interviews with the strength coach where he talked about building a whole like offseason strength and conditioning program for the players based on having a backpack and two empty milk jugs. Like, like that's the level of like abnormal that they were at for a long time. So I I get that. I, I, and I, I agree, but it's, you also got to realize it wasn't just Georgia tech. That was having to do that. Like, right.
2: Yeah. So like 2019, we'll give them a pass, right? We'll we'll say, okay, 2019 year zero, like total tearing down to the studs, Right. Mm Mm-hmm. 2020 COVID year. And I get it, right? Like the, the jump from year one to year two in a rebuild is really, really important. So the fact that you had a historic worldwide pandemic and you literally couldn't get your kids on campus and couldn't get them in a regular strength and conditioning, like summer development program for your football team, as you're trying to rebuild a football program, I can understand why that's hard, right? Mm-hmm. I get, it. I really get it. But year three think about what georgia tech brought back they brought back a quarterback going into his second year a running back who was an all acc caliber player going into his second year you brought back a veteran defense like this is where you should start to see some progress right Mm -hmm. this is where you start to see the progress but we still had the excuses like you still had the excuses. You lost to Northern Illinois in the opener. Like yep. you can't lose that game. Yep. And there's been one of those every year, right? With it with Collins and yeah, I get it. I, I I'm not saying that that rebuilding a program that was running the triple option is an easy thing to do, but the reasons why Georgia Tech was losing was not because Paul Johnson ran the triple option. Yeah. Like, that's not why he was losing in year three. The reason why he was losing in year three is his secondary couldn't cover anybody. That's yeah. why they were losing games in year three.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've, we've talked at. a lot about it, but yeah, at this point, <laughs> it's funny when, when I see people that are, are Georgia Tech fans that still say something like, Jeff Collins isn't winning games because of something, something Paul Johnson related. It's like... done. It's we We're three years past it. You like, have got to be kidding me. Yeah, like... <laughs> How many transfers have they brought in? Have they had the chance to bring in? They've brought in high school right. kids like they have had years of strength and conditioning and coaching and things. And especially when the issues half the time aren't like they just got beat by somebody who's bigger, faster, stronger. It's and They don't know where to go. <laughs> I was going to say, I have a question.
2: How is it Paul Johnson's fault when these rosters are more talented? Yeah. Like, Jeff Collins is bringing in more talent than Paul Johnson was bringing in.
3: Mm-hmm. These,
2: these classes are better. These mm-hmm. recruiting classes are better. These are Collins' guys. Yeah. Like, I get that there are some holdovers from Paul Johnson still, like, on the team. I get that, right? Mm-hmm. But you're in year three, and there is more talent on the roster now than when Paul Johnson was coaching there. And we're still blaming him?
1: Come on now. Somehow we are, Mike. That's, Somehow. Yeah. Shout out to boiled peanut water. Thank you for the question there. couple other good question. Yeah, it was a good
2: question. Yeah, was. Yep.
1: A couple other notes here, uh, and and then we'll get we'll hit something real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Ty Pumachon, you'll know him of the uh, he's he's of the Big Cinco and Puma uh, sitcom that was being played out in at Clemson there in the quarterback room. Uh, he's put his name in the transfer portal. He's going to be leaving Clemson. So it's Dabo and Big Cinco. And I don't know who else. Running Dabo,
2: and Dabo, Big Cinco, and Big Dave against the world.
1: There you go. I mean, <laughs> if it's me and somebody else against the world, I would definitely take Big Dave on my side.
2: And Dabo, if it's college football related.
1: Yeah, sure. We can do that.
2: Uh, UVA quarterback, Ty Pumachon.
1: Oh, that would be interesting. Very interesting. You think he knows anyone that coaches at Virginia? You know, that's weird. I, I didn't think about that. We'll have to keep an eye on that. That's, there's a chance. There's a chance. Huh. <laughs> uh, Devin Leary. He's going to run it back another year in Raleigh, Mike. you surprised?
2: And... He's like a. You can't hear me?
1: It went out and it came back now. So start over there. Sorry. Okay. What the hell's happening?
2: It's all right. It's okay. We're almost done. I am a little surprised. Like, if not because, like, he was really good all year and just kind of flew under the radar Mm -hmm. in the ACC. But his numbers were really, really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody was talking about Pickett and. Brandon Armstrong and Sam Howell still, which I get. Howell had a really good year, too. Another guy who flew under the radar because UNC fell off, and I get that, too. But Leary's numbers were really, really good this year. And they just kind of struggled to get over the hump, right? Like, they don't beat Wake Forest, so now everybody's forgetting how good Devin Leary was. (laughs) Like, Leary played fine in that game. Yeah. Leary's been good all year. And I feel like scouts were probably paying attention to that. But if he thinks he needs one more year where he can kind of progress and, and be the guy at NC State and be one of the top quarterbacks in the conference, then I get it. But Leary proved that he can stay healthy for an entire year, which is my biggest question for him. Because mm-hmm. I knew when he was healthy, he was going to be pretty good. He was good last year when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, a little bit surprised, not shocked though, and and I think it will benefit NC State obviously heading into next year. They're probably the clear cut. Well, we'll see what BC brings Japovic back, but NC State's going to be in the running for second best team in the Atlantic preseason.
1: I mean, NC State like that offense wasn't perfect this year. It had its flaws. Devin Leary was not really the flaw. Like no, my no, man the finished, running game. Yeah, my man finished the year with four hundred and thirty passing attempts and five interceptions. 35 yeah. touchdowns to five interceptions like an average 8 yards an attempt uh you know running the ball wasn't great this year for him but it wasn't for anybody else on the team like there were there were bigger issues than Devin Leary like he is a really solid quarterback
2: the guy had a 7 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio
3: and mm-hmm. nobody's
2: talking nobody's
1: talking about him outside of this podcast that's right we are the only ones mike we are it we are it and the wolf magazine probably <laughs> Yeah, probably. So, yeah, good news for NC State. I mean, that, that's, I'd have to look, but v- arguably the best quarterback returning in the conference next year.
2: Yeah, him and Dracovic.
1: Maybe Armstrong.
2: Maybe Brian Armstrong. Yeah, we'll see what his decision ends up being.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. This is, this is sneaky become a conference of really good quarterbacks, Mike.
3: Just throwing that yeah.
2: out. Yeah. I mean, there were like, three or four of top 15 quarterbacks in the country this year are from the ACC. Mm-hmm. And that's not me just like talking out my ass, like talking up the conference. That's like statistically speaking.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lots of good quarterback play in the conference this year, for sure. The numbers back it up. Um, real quick before we get out of here, Mike, I just wanted to hit on the all ACC teams. Um, yes. just We'll just hit on the first teams here. Uh, on offense, we had Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Uh, running back with Sean Tucker and Mateo Durant, Syracuse and Duke. Did uh, you tweet wide, about it? Uh, likely, uh, it was likely the AP game story of the uh, <laughs> the release.
2: There. I'll check. I will check.
1: Wide receiver Jordan Addison, uh, Jordan Addison out of Pitt. Josh Downs out of North Carolina. Dontavian Wicks and At Perry out of Virginia and Wake Forest tied for the third spot on the first team. Uh, tight end Jelani Woods out of Virginia. The all-purpose player was Jameer Gibbs out of Georgia Tech. Not for anymore, but, you know, for now. Uh, Offensive line, Ikem McQuanu. I almost certainly did not pronounce that right out of NC State. Zach Tom out of Wake Forest. Zion Johnson out of Boston College. Caleb Chandler out of Louisville. And Alec Limstrom out of Boston College. A lot of good representation on here. And strangely enough, not a single player from from Clemson on the – First team all ACC offense.
2: I mean, just microcosm of the year. Well, it's okay. really.
1: They had a few on defense, Mike.
2: Oh. <laughs>
1: defense ends yeah. Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, Cody Roscoe out of Syracuse, defensive tackles, Kalija Cancey out of Pitt, Corey Durden out of NC State, who tied with Tyler Davis out of Clemson. Linebackers Drake Thomas out of NC State, Michael Jones, Michael Jones, Mikhail Jones out of uh, Syracuse, and James Skalski out of Clemson. Corners Mario Goodrich and Andrew Booth Jr., both from Clemson. Safeties Jamie Robinson out of uh, – Jamie Robinson, I guess, out of Florida State, and Tanner Ingle out of NC State. Uh, plenty of Clemson representation on defense, though. Don't worry.
2: They were good on that side.
1: They were. They were. Uh, a lot of good names too. I believe it was Jermaine Johnson also that won uh, defensive player of the year in the conference uh, in his one year after transferring from Georgia. He was a nightmare of a pass rusher for Florida State. He was incredible. Uh, special teams. Place kicker was Nick Skiba out of Wake Forest. Punter was Trenton Gill out of NC State. And the specialist overall, the return man, I guess, was Zonovan Knight, Bam Knight, as it were, out of NC State. Um, a little surprised by that, but more surprised that they throw Bam Knight back there to return kicks. Um he he takes plenty of punishment on offense, but he's clearly a good kick returner. He's run back a number of touchdowns this year, so uh good on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh Mike, anything else? I think that's all. Man, that nice was time. a lot of news. A lot of news. Yeah, a lot to catch up on. It's it's been a newsy part of the year and uh we haven't been able to record a ton, so uh, you know, this is what it is. But I think we got got a lot covered here tonight.
2: Yeah, got it. We, we emptied out the uh, notebook, so to speak.
1: There you go. Emptied the notebook. Uh, as mentioned, we are going to come back here in about a week, and we will we might find an excuse to record between now and then, but uh, if nothing else, we'll come back here in about a week and start putting together some bowl preview actions. So keep your feeds tuned here, and uh, we will, uh, we'll keep you updated on things that, that come up, or we'll get you ready for bowl season.
2: It's coming up quick, full season, is. by the way.
1: It is coming quick. It is coming quick. Um, it'll be right after Christmas, again, that it starts on the 27th. So, uh, again, keep it tuned here. Oh, yeah. Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, let's come back and, and preview some bowl games. But in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel, SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Go find us there. Hit the follow button, the subscribe button, all that. We appreciate it. Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias?
2: Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. us on Instagram at bc podcast acc.
1: Please do. Please do. Um, I think that's all I got anything else you want to come back and uh, start previewing some bowl games we'll do that let's do that all right well until then for Mr. Mike McDaniel I am Joey Weaver thank you guys so much for listening we will talk to you again soon if not until then then Merry Christmas and enjoy your holidays uh, God I hope we
2: record before Christmas
1: we will find fu- well, yeah. well yeah we'll try we're gonna try yeah, no, we should we should I'm looking I don't know what day it is it's
2: Merry Christmas though
1: Merry Christmas, if not, I you know, hey, I don't know, uh, you know. Hope you have a great holiday. Yes. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, for Mister Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Until then, go ACC.